So we come to the uh, book of Malachi. And so let me give you just some general introductory notes first. And then we'll get into the searching out the book and getting you involved. And I want to uh, urge you to please be involved here and share some of your thoughts. And you can ask whatever questions and uh, I'll turn that over to Mitchell to answer the questions. And uh, so we will enjoy uh, this study, I am sure. I enjoyed working on it, and I have been working feverishly this week to try to get my, my uh, handle on this. And I found that it is, is deeper, far deeper than I ever realized. So anyway, someone has said this, <clears throat> reading the book of Malachi feels rather like eavesdropping on the end of the long family quarrel. And so, because there's this dispute that's going on, these disputations that are interacting here. And so I think that's right. There is, there is a sense here of a, of a give and take, and we'll answer some of these questions about that as we get into the questions in our book. But uh, coming to the point of when was this written, I think this is a, a interesting thing to see. We obviously see it at the end of the 12, so therefore we're thinking it is the last of those chronologically to be written, and that would be correct, but when was it written? I mean, here's Zechariah, and Zechariah connects, or Malachi connects with Zechariah, I should put it that way, but about 90 years have passed since Zechariah uh, put down his quill. So we've got a long time here. Now, why do I say that such a long time? Well, first of all, the temple has been built, rebuilt. And that took place in 516 B.C. It was started in 520 B.C. and was completed in 516, roughly. And so um, the temple has been complete. And how do we know that? When you read the book of Malachi, how do you know the temple is complete? Something that happens in that those the first chapter itself, beginning after verse six. There are sacrifices being made. That would not happen without a temple. So we know that has now started up, and so the Levitical priesthood is at in action and helping. Another thing is that if you go to chapter one and verse eight, if you read that verse, you will find a reference to the term governor. And the word that is used there in the original language is a Persian reference. So we know it's still during the Persian uh, period, but it's coming to an end quickly. So a rough date for this, 90 years later, is, is about 430 B.C. So that's when we are going to place this, 430 B.C., and give or take a few years here or there. Uh, the prophetic connection here is, is obvious, the last of the prophets, and it begins 400 years of silence. So this is God's final word before the revelation of the living word of God coming in flesh. So this is a significant thing. What is God's final word in the Old Testament to us? What is it that God wants us to know as we come uh, to the end of his uh, verbal, uh, outward revelation of himself because there's no record of anything God gave us during that 400 years. Uh, 
and the prophet himself, Malachi. Interesting, does anybody happen to know what his name means? It, I think you got it there, Robert. What would you say? Messenger. My messenger. And it's interesting that what do you, what's a thread that you see running through Malachi as far as who is coming? John the Baptist, but what is he called here? He's not called John the Baptist. He has a name. Elijah. Elijah, and what else? A messenger. Four times uh, this word, if you conclude the name Malachi, four times you're going to see messenger mentioned. The messenger is coming. The messenger is coming. And there's probably in all of this uh, four different messengers <laughs> to, to let you know that too and how we place those. Uh, key verses. I want you to turn to chapter 4 and let's look at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to have somebody read that. Before I have someone read that, I want you to uh, look at the words, but I want you to get mental images in your mind. Um, this prophet, I mean, I know Zechariah had a lot of images and they were strange, but the, these are a little more concrete. And I want you to, to get a picture in your mind of what is being said here. And I also want you to see a contrast in what scholars feel and, and of what I wholeheartedly agree with are the key verses that help us to unlock all of this and, in fact, all of the minor prophets. So, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Who would be willing to read that for me? Okay, Robert. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness that shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out weeping like calves from the stall. That is just packed with images. Let's, let's look back at this again. I want you to Get it because, first of all, what is maybe a key phrase that's repeated here in these two verses? The day is coming. And the day that is coming. And what day is he speaking of? The day of the Lord. And so that we have seen this. Uh, a lot of scholars uh, like to connect uh, Malachi and Joel where we saw introduced to us the day of the Lord and that these two are just very strong about the day of the Lord. And, and uh, where, is, where, does it, where is there a major shift here? With what word do we see in these two verses? There is a huge shift in what the day of the Lord brings. What word? It's one of our pastor's favorite words in Scripture. But, but God. And here it's but for you, some God's going to do something. So it is a but God moment. So he starts out, for behold. So the, hey, look at this. Stop and look at this. The day is coming. The day is coming. He says it twice. And, and what's the image that he uses there? It's, it's going to be like a, like, like a hot oven. Okay, so I want you to picture not your oven at home. I want you to see a brick 
kiln type oven and the, the flames are raging and, and you, you see this and they throw in stubble and it's poof everything is gone in fact how far does the Lord or how does the Lord describe here the prophet describe uh, the the disintegration of the stubble what is left it's the end of the first verse there's neither root nor branch that's interesting terminology have we seen branch before oh there is a branch right there is something that survives there's a remnant that survives but of the stubble here that will come at the day of the Lord the people who are there nothing there's not going to be a twig there's not going to be a branch uh, there, there's not going to be a root. Everything will be gone. And then, but. So what is the key for those not to be in the oven under the heat? What's, what is but for those who what? Fear of the Lord. And I think uh, the, the book of Malachi is greatly about God. And let me tell you, last night when I went to bed, and I've, I've been filling my head, and all day yesterday, I spent the entire day just in this book. And all week long, I've been spending time in this book. But last night when I went to bed, it's like, you know, this really is all about God. And so I got up this morning, and I was thinking about it again, and I went down to have a quick little bite uh, with Kathy, and she said, you know, I got to thinking about this after studying this last night. It's kind of like a book about God, isn't it? But you want to teach the class today, sweetheart? No, I'm leading some singing upstairs for the kids. But, but she said that too, and I thought, ah. So there is something here, and I, I hope to show you that. Uh, so just some thoughts that came to me. But I, you know, you can study all week long, and then all of a sudden, here is your meditating on your bed, here, here's the thought. Bang. This really is all about who God is in contrast to who we are. So that ended up the way Calvin started his institutes. You know, We need to see who God is. We need to understand who we are. And uh, then, what's, what's the image then? <clears throat> There's a fire going on, and I'm taking a lot of time with this. I, I'm sorry, but I want you to see this because this really helps us. So, so rather than the fire, the oven, what does he see for those who fear the Lord? What begins to rise? Not the heat, but healing, healing but it's a sunrise. The sun of righteousness will shine. And in case I don't fully get to it, this is an, an obvious reference to new creation. The new creation. And it's the dawning of that new day when God and Christ reign over all. And so that's when the healing will come. So that, I think that is rich. And then the final thing, final image here is what's the, what's the last thing that is said? It's going to be a day in which how do we react? How, what will it be like for us? You shall go out. How many of you have ever seen calves leaping from a stall? Okay, good. Some of you have. I, I have seen that, and I've, 
also uh, went online. You can look this up, calves leaping in a stall, look it up. You'll also find some cartoons about that from a Christian uh, guy, artist. Uh, anyway, um, now, when they come out, when they're born and they're released from the stall in the springtime, they are just jumping up and down all over the place. It's, it's a joyful thing. Think of the victory at the end of the last battle of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and in which the, the, the sun has risen and there's great joy and everything goes on and on. It's, it's, just, it's just a beautiful picture, I think. And so here's the picture. We're, we're moving toward the day of the Lord. But what about the people here and now? How are we living as God's people? So, um, just some other general observations in the text. Uh, we're going to see a lot of rich, we may see a lot of rich Messianic prophecies because time is fleeting. Uh, but you hear, uh, especially around Christmas time, you hear people use Malachi a lot. In what way? Does anybody know of a work, a masterpiece work? Handel's Messiah. He quotes this. I mean, Handel's Messiah is quoting scripture all the way through. And there's a lot from the prophets because he's looking forward to the birth. And then the birth comes. And, and then he takes his worthy as the lamb. He takes us all the way through the rest of it. But he uses here uh, the, some of the, the themes are the messengers who shall prepare a way. And the messenger will suddenly come into the temple. This is all in 3.1, by the way. And then in 3.2, who can endure the day of his coming? I would try to sing that, but Kathy's come in. I'll let her sing, who shall endure the day of his coming. You want to do that, Kathy? Yeah. Okay. The son of righteousness will appear. The messenger will turn the hearts of fathers and children. So all of that is there. Um, yes, sir. I see a parallel with uh, the sun rising on the, the believer, appealing in his wings. That same sun is burning the evildoer. And I see a parallel with like the flood or with parting the Red Sea, or these waters, or baptism, where these waters are of deliverance for the believer and judgment for the unbeliever. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, what's our theme from uh, Hosea 3, 4, and 5? We, we see, somebody look that up for a minute. There, the, the, we're balancing two things through the 12. The judgment of God and the mercy, mercy of God. And, and so we see it again here on the two sides of the divide, as Mitchell has pointed out. Who's, got, who's found that? Who can read it for us? Okay, so this, this now, Malachi is going to take us to that, those latter days in a spectacular way, but it's also in a humbling way. Because as he comes to us, as he comes to the people who are there, what he is doing, you remember Paul House, if you remember early on, that the first few prophets were about sin and exposing sin. And then the second section of, of the twelve was about judgment. There's sin, so there must be judgment. 
But then, when the last three prophets, there was going to be for uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, there would be restoration. So there's restoration of the people as they left the exile, and they're going to rebuild Jerusalem, and restoration of the temple, which has been done. But now the one thing needs to be done is the restoration of the people. Their hearts need to come back to God. So, um, someone has said that the purpose of the book is to restore covenant relationships by renewed obedience that brings renewed hope. Because when I, I um, looked through this and tried to get the feel for Malachi, here, here's what I um, was feeling. See if you will agree with this. Um, if I look at the, the spiritual climate, the temperature of the people, there are people who have uh, hope has failed. They're saying, oh, what's the use? What's the use living for God? What's the use serving him? Uh, we don't have to pay attention to details. That's what I'm saying. So hope has failed. They're, they don't see that something is yet to come. They're disappointed because the time in, in which they're living, they're not seeing all the fulfillments that they thought they would see. Uh, it's, it's like a kid uh, at Christmas or a birthday, and he's got all these bags of presents, and he starts pulling them out one by one. He tears it open. He looks at it. Okay. Puts that aside. He looks at the next one. And, you know, he's going through all the presents, or she's going through all the presents, and they get through the fun. Is that all there is? They've got a smaller temple than they've ever had. The world is still the world. Injustices are all around. But, but those people who live in injustice seem to be prospering. And we are. This is God's kingdom? Is this what we're promised? Hope has failed here. Or at least it's faded to some degree. And faith, therefore, has weakened. And it's wavered because... Uh, they, they aren't following their faith. And one of the things about uh, this book is it will constantly take us back to the covenant that God made and the covenant that we are to keep. And in fact, the last words of this book have to do with looking back to the Torah and living by God's standards. <clears throat> and then finally, therefore, love has died. God doesn't love us. And they've lost their first love. Does that sound like the book of Revelation and the church at Laodicea? You see, all of us, okay, at least I, at times, lose hope, lose faith, lose love. There are times I'm questioning God. I don't tell that to my wife. I don't tell that to anybody else. I just told it to you. I better delete that from the recording. But there are times I go through that kind of thing. We all do, I think. Maybe you're different than I am. So this book, therefore, I can easily identify with. So let's, let's open our other volume here for a second. And I'm going to try to do a couple of unusual things uh, to maybe give you more of a flavor of the book. But our first question is... What is the main structure and outline of Malachi? And if you're struggling with that, page 17. <laughs> All right, and he told us to do that. Look at page 17. So there is uh, an outline there for you. 
And uh, so what is the structure? What, what, what does, uh, how does Malachi build his picture here? What does he use? Dispute, dispute, yeah. It's kind of kind of easy to picture here because there's six of them. So he's going to build his, his, his messages, his message to the people based upon what God has revealed to him on the dispute that God has with the people. And there are six disputes that come along. Now, uh, I will also tell you that those six disputes in each one of them, there is a pattern that is followed. Basically, there's going to be a charge that is leveled, and then there will be a question that is asked or, or that, that comes to those people that, that they respond back to God because God will say, but you say, but you say, but you say. I can even show you here in this. If you just look on this at the yellow, just on this first page alone, can you see the yellow? You know what that's about? But you say, every time but you say is on it. Here it is again on this page. You come over here, it's on that page. It's on every page of the book of Malachi. But you say, and that's God saying, here's what I hear you saying in your mind. They may not have said it out, said it out loud, but God knows our hearts. Uh, <clears throat> so we've got these six disputes. Um, who are the main characters and what's the plot? God and the people, God and the people of Israel, um, people of Israel, Jacob, yes ma'am? The priests also come into play here, they're addressed particularly and should be, I'm in that kind of role or have been, and so I understand exactly what's being said to them, been there, done that, um, anybody else? <clears throat> I'm not saying that there are, I'm just seeing if anybody else picked up something, maybe I did the messenger, good. They are characters. They're not speaking here, but they are. They're they're on the um, the program, the cast list, so to speak. Edom is also Esau or Edom. Okay, so um, plot line. How how what's the plot line here? I guess it's how you define plot line. I'm going to let you define that yourself. Okay, good. Corruption exposed, promise to come. Did you say it? Yeah. Promises to come. That's excellent. That's excellent. Any others? Want to add something to that? All right. Let's do something. Let me see if I can do this. Uh, oh, well, let me ask this first. Um, who are the two voices you hear in the disputes? There's two voices coming back and forth. God and the people, and then who is doing the talking and who's making the accusations against the other? In other words, who initiates all of this? God. God is initiating all of this. All right, so. Want to hear somebody? All right, so, so open your scriptures, and what I hope to do here in the next few minutes, and I hope I can do this quickly, um, I'm going to try to do a quick walkthrough of Malachi with you going through these 
six disputes in the text and helping you pick up some of these, I hope. <coughs> so, dispute number one, look at verse two. By the way, I, we'll, we'll come back to that. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Do you ever question the love of God? Good. Some of you are honest enough and you're shaking your heads. Yes. Some of you say, I don't know if I should really say that. <laughs> but, all right. God, do you really love us? And, uh, and how, what is God's response? What? It's not Esau, Jacob's brother. What's that got to do with loving? Well, we're not talking about family relationships here, or are we? Why does he use that? Who was the firstborn, Jacob or Esau? Esau was. Who sold his birthright? Who, who, who looked very lightly upon that? And so Esau sold his birthright. And by the way, when you go back in Genesis, you'll find that God often passed over the firstborn to choose, to elect, those that he would be his own. So this is part of that election process. And he says, I don't love you. Where's Esau? What's, he was your enemy. Who took care of your enemy? You go back to Obadiah. Okay, see that? Well, God took care of his enemy. All right, I don't want to say too much here about all that. But he says... Uh, um, so, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now, that's, that love-hate, that's a relative term, so to speak. It's not that God hated him in the sense we think of hatred. This is about acceptance or rejection, choice or non-choice. Where do we find those words? Do we find those in the book of Genesis where the story happens? I don't think so, but there's a place I, I know they appear. Romans 9. All right. Romans 9, 10, and 11. There is a... Uh, there, he is arguing for the election of God's people and those people who are have rejected God non-elect, and also for the inclusion of the Gentiles, which is going to be in this to a degree. Okay, i got to move quickly. <clears throat> and in fact, we see even in this first argument, which goes from uh, 1, 2, through 5, um, that great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. So God is going to show his greatness, his love. I have loved you. My love is going to spread even further than this. Um, Edom, he, he is now a wicked country. And the Lord is angry with him forever. And that's because he mistreated God's chosen. Now, dispute number two. One six through two nine. Um, God begins here with some reasoning and a question. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? 
And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. Wow, this is strong in itself. Uh, to God calling himself father and then master, and yet you have an honor in him. And who is he talking to? Not just to the common people, but the people who are priests. They have failed. So, and he says, but you say, verse 6, but you say, how have we despised your name? You know, that's an accusation against us. Why, why, why would you say that? So what, what's the next words? Look at verse 7 and 8. What were the priests doing? All right, so, so the altar is being polluted. How is it being polluted? Oh, yeah. And, of course, didn't the law allow for blind and lame and the things that you didn't want to be offered up? Oh, what, what was it according to Exodus 12? It had to be a lamb without blemish. Okay, no blemishes. <clears throat> but what had happened now? After, after they had gone into exile for their failure to honor God, now he brings them out and they go back in the land and rebuild the temple and they get lax. 90 years has passed, remember. Go back 90 years in our history to what? So we're around 1960. Or let's go back to 1950, the year I was born. Was it, is, why, why are you laughing at that? <laughs> okay, so you go back in history, and has America changed over the last 90 years? Hmm. Has the church changed over the last 90 years? Things can happen over a 90-year period. So at this point, you know, the guy says, yes, I'll, I'll bring a fitting offering, and yeah, bring that three-legged lamb over here, that thing that was born without a leg, or, or bring that blind animal. Or, oh, that one's diseased. We can't even eat that or sell that to anybody. Let's take that and offer that up. So they bring it to church. Here's my offering. And what should the priests have said? What did God say? Thus says the Lord. He told us what to do. But did they do it? No, the priests didn't do the preaching they should have done. You know, I, I just want you to have the best life that you can have. So if, if this is okay with you, I'm sure it's okay with God. You know, I know God has said something, but that was in a different culture, a different era, and so we can kind of do whatever we want to do now that God's brought us back because he's blessing us, right? And so we will do, okay, you get the point? Exactly, exactly. And, and again, there, Cain was the firstborn, Abel was secondborn again, but had the blessing of God. So, yeah, exactly right. Um, and, and so with um, this tongue-in-cheek, look at the middle of verse 8. You, you, take that, you, you take that to a feast to your governor. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you? Uh, the, the word here is, will he lift up your face? Here's something for you to study. You don't have time to do it. If you go back to the Levitical um, blessing, 
which you often hear maybe at the end of a sermon as a benediction or in a wedding as a benediction to a couple about the Lord um, bless you, Lord lift up his face to you and so on. All right. This is a reversal. God says there's no blessing upon you and your face is not going to be lifted up. In fact, what does it say about their faces? Uh, with such a gift from your hand, will he show, your governor show, any favor to you? Oh, that there is one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept the offering of your hand. So, you have failed me. How would you like to be a preacher, a priest, and hear those words from God? But we're, many of us are not listening when God speaks that way. Um, and then verse 11 shows that because he's rejecting them, there's others who will be accepted. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great in the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Um, so <clears throat> from that standpoint... We see that uh, they're also saying here, but you say, verse 13, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. You bring the lame, the sick. 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and bows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. I am a great king. So that's, that's disputation number two. And I'm not going to be able to go through them all because our time's going quickly. Let me just quickly highlight the others. Let's go to uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. <clears throat> Here we have people who have, he says, have we not all one father? Have we not one God? Have not one God created us? Uh, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel. And so then it introduces, and what is this third disputation about? <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a, an interesting, here's where Shepherd, that I introduced to you earlier, introduces a whole new thought. <clears throat> that really... The use of the word abomination is one of the keys that turns them around, and then some things in the Hebrew, that they have broken covenant, they've broken faith, not necessarily in their marriages, but in their marriage to God. And so they have broken faith there, and that's why he uses abomination, because abomination is the word that's used consistently in the Old Testament for idolatry. So idolatry is kept in. Now, I'm, again, I'm telling you, that's what this is. What I've always read, always seen, was it was divorce. And during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, there were struggles in marriages. But um, they, they separated people. But this is a little bit beyond that time. And maybe there's more to it. I just throw that out to you because I think you ought to hear it. No, the first, the first one here is back in chapter one, verse six. 
there is an inference, okay? Uh, at least I'll, I'll put it that way. That's an inference in 1.6. And here it's a little more explicit, um, but that also, Father, it's with capital here, so they're looking at it that way. It could be perhaps relating back to Abraham. There's, there's different ways of taking that. However, with it being parallel to God created us, there is argument for that. Okay, and so some people say, well, God wasn't was never called Father uh, in the Old Testament. Well, there is some evidence for that, and in the New Testament, we see the fatherhood of God for us. Okay, quick, quick, more quickly now than what I'm doing at this point. Um, the fourth is in 217 to 35. I, in fact, in this particular text, I've, I've drawn lines and I put this out in margin so I can see it. Um, you have worried the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Uh, here, um, it says, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. So, God seems to be favoring the wicked. He's, he's being gracious to them. He ought to judge them. We're his people. Why, why should we be judged? So, um, this is where we also come at this point where we're turning the tide of things and God begins to show them the promises. So you get some of the first and earlier promises. They're saying, where is, the where is God's justice? This is 2.17, the last line. Where is the God of justice? And God quickly responds back. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and all silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So he is looking to that ultimate day in which I will show justice. In my time, in my, I will show justice. And I will also show mercy. So there's your justice and mercy right here again. Or judgment and mercy being seen. Um, so he's going to bring about pure priesthood. Uh, he will purge sin, verses 3 through 6. He will bring people into blessing through their obedience and bring his people into an eschatological victory. Then the fifth, um, for I, the Lord, do not change, O children of Jacob, are not, and, and, excuse me, because, therefore. Uh, look at a couple of words here. The word for at the beginning of verse 6 of chapter 3, and the word therefore in the middle of for the Lord, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You should have been consumed. And you should have been judged. But here's where Lamentation 2 comes in. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. 
because his compassions do not fail. They're new every morning. Every single morning, God has to show compassion to a guy named Sparky for me to even breathe. And that, that's not, I'm, I'm not throwing that off as something cute. I'm saying that's true. Uh, we, in him, we live and move and have our being. Every breath we take is a gift from God. But, verse 9, you are accursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. By the way, our title outline talked about tithing. Did you see that? Or you bring tithes and offerings. This is a very famous Baptist passage that is used at least once a year when they are seeking to get pledges to come in to give their tithes and their offerings. Uh, as Shepherd says, and I totally agree with him, this has nothing to do with bringing money to the local church to support the ministry of the church. This has everything to do with God's command in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to bring produce in to the temple so the priests can eat. So it's totally different. But, but they weren't showing that. Uh, they weren't doing that. And then number six, um, verse 13 of chapter three, going down to chapter four, verse three, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve the Lord. By the way, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, said, if Christ is not raised, then your faith is vain. But it is not vain because Jesus is raised. But for these people, God has a contention with them that uh, they must keep their charge, even as Abraham did, Genesis 15, 6. And they, they need to see that the evildoers, uh, because they say evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They get to do wrong. Why do we not get to do wrong? Sounds like my children. Other daughters get to do this. That, that. Why do we have to do this? So it's so easy to get into that kind of situation, but put in the margin there of your Bible, Psalm 73. Go back and read Psalm 73, where man says, I'm just seeing people prosper all the time around me, the evildoers, and, but, but where, 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 where do I come in here? And, and all of it comes in to the point where um, Psalm 73 says, I went to the house of the Lord, and there I saw the end I saw the day of the Lord. I saw the end of those people. Okay. Um, so we've gone through those six. And now let's come back to our sheets. And so I've got to uh, drive my chariot like Jehu at this point to get through the things that we need to do. All right. Our next question then is... Um, so... How does the language change in 4.4? How does this shift set the last two verses of Malachi apart from everything before? So those last ones there say this. He, he has gone through um, the coming day and he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb and all for all Israel. So, so, what are you seeing here? What, what's, what has shifted? How is this different from what we've seen? 
It is a call for obedience. And obedience to what? The law. The law. He refers to it not as Mount Sinai, but Horeb. He goes back to the language of, of the uh, Torah itself. When you see law in our English translations, it is the word Torah referring to the five books of Moses. Go back to where you started. Go back to go. Do not collect $200 at the altar. Let's go back there and find out what's, what you're missing and let's follow that. So, what else do you see in this? Any other reason behind this? Oh, wait, you blue, you talk near, you see. Anything else you see is a shift here and what makes this different? There's also a great promise. This is in 5 and 6. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. And so here we're seeing the Hosea 3, 4, and 5 in another form again here at the very end because we come to the end of the 12 and this is like a, a summation. And this is a final challenge, a final word. These, right here, are the final words God speaks to his people for 400 years. I think these are probably important. Now, think of it this way. What does verse 4, look at that, which direction does it point for the people in, in their here and now? What direction does that point? It points back. It points back to what? Moses and the law, what God had revealed of how you should live your life. So he's pointing back to how you ought to live, and Moses is a key factor. What is verses 5 and 6? Which direction is it pointing? It's forward. So here, because of this, then... Here's what's coming and should motivate you. Just like we look back to the cross and then we look forward to his coming, we're doing the same thing. It's just that we have an advantage that they haven't. The advantage that we have is the messenger has come and has announced the Messiah. And the Messiah has come. And the Messiah has taken upon himself all of our sins that we're seeing here. Because God has revealed himself through these disputes. Quick thing here. Kathy and I were talking about this this morning. When, we, when I told you about, okay, I think this book's really about God. If you look at the six disputes, I think we can say, and, and you're free to toy with this. This is not inspired, but I hope it's inspiring. It's a revelation of God. So in the first dispute, um, we see the love of God. Because he directly states that. I do love you. And you say, how? How have you loved us? Second one is we see God's holiness. But you're, you're putting, you're polluting the offering, impure offerings on the altar. So, but God is holy. So we see the holiness of God. God demands a holy sacrifice. Third, that God is faithful. Where you're not being faithful to your wives, if we interpret it that way, and to, to marriage, you're also not being uh, faithful to the covenant. And the covenant is used in that whole section. That's another reason why perhaps uh, it is about idolatry. 
among them. Then the next one says, you know, you're, people are getting away with anything, but we're not. Well, this is the justice of God. I will come in judgment. So the love, the holiness, the faithfulness, the justice. Then uh, you've been robbing God. In reality, you're actually robbing those who need the food. This uh, is the providence of God. In God's providence, because he is a gracious, generous God, a good God, he provided for the Levites when they had no other way to, to make their living, so to speak. So the people were to provide that. And so providence is seen there. And the, the last one, um, you know, it's wearisome to follow God. And, you know, what's the use of following God? And, and we see here the patience of God with the people. So here, here is some of the qualities of God. And all those qualities, therefore, that are God's should be in us. The love of God, the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God, the justice of God, the providence of God, and the patience of God. So all those things are there. All right, so let's see. Uh, we are to remember the Torah. Now let's go to the next one. Uh, this is also a seam that pieces together the Torah and the prophets in the first place um, because of, of God's uh, covenant and then the people and the prophets have failed in the covenant and so there's a, a seam that's being filled up there and it's a look forward uh, the, these, these words here at the end of chapter 4 is a seam between that and the next book and you say wait a minute there is no book after Malachi except the New Testament. Except we're talking about Hebrews and the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, Jesus told us what, uh, how the divisions of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. What are the divisions? There was the law and then the prophets and then the writing. So the very next book here is Psalms in the Hebrew Bible. And Psalm 1 and 2 is written as an introduction to the rest of the Psalms. And so there we see in Psalm 1 and 2, we, we see a contrast between the righteous and the wicked and the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked and counsels us in chapter 1. So this is, again, seeing that. Remember the Torah, look back to the Torah. And what does it say in Psalm 1? And you shall meditate in the Torah of God day and night. So this is part of that seam that we're looking for in, in all these books. So that the whole Old Testament is one message, one truth. And we're looking at the judgment and mercy of God. So any questions or comments about that? Okay, understanding the text. Uh, when is it likely that Malachi ministered? We've actually talked about that. The temple's done. So that was over. What were some of the issues that God's people faced after the exile? Any comments there? I think we've seen some of the things in the, in the text, but anything there? There was a lot of... I, we sympathize. I can sympathize because they had to go back to rubble, and they had to rebuild everything from the ground up. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle in producing crops as well. Um, they, in fact, they complained to God that they weren't getting enough. And God said, you've been robbing me. You're not bringing in the produce 
to the Levites. So therefore, it's been cursed. You do what you should do, and I will do for you great things. And people will look and say, wow, what a desirable land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, prosperity among the wicked and the faithless, and they seem to be getting away with murder. And we can't get away with anything. Uh, expectations of renewal not met. We talked about that, how, um, you know, you, you get into marriage. I, when I counsel couples, I talk about you get into marriage and you, you have certain expectations. And some of these have not been talked about even before you got married. And then you get discouraged. Um, compromises in their relationship with God, problems in families. All right, so the Zechariah-Malachi connection, look at that for a moment. Um, what's the connection? What's one of the big connections between Zechariah and Malachi? They're 90 years apart, but what's, what's a clear connection? There's something that... What? The word of the Lord, okay. The oracle. That, the oracle of the word of the Lord. Because in 9-1 of Zechariah, 12-1 of Zechariah... We have there the um, mention of the only other two times in the entire Old Testament that phrase is used. And then suddenly it shows up in Malachi, the last one. Some people even say that Malachi should be an addendum to Zechariah because of that. But, but Malachi is a man on his own two feet who's revealing God's things, but he carries on the concerns of God. The oracle, by the way, means a burden. A burden. It's like Moses was talked to God, and he talked about the people of Israel when they're going through some hard times. He says, uh, the people are a burden. God, God says, they're a burden to you? Let me tell you about burdens. So, so God is sharing his burden with the people. Don't you think it had, I thought, interesting how many burdens. Okay. He was talking about him Sinner, and he can try to fill his life with everything else, uh, but only Christ will give him relief. Uh, and uh, we see also this: the connections is the day of the Lord is coming, uh, but uh, the messenger of hope will come. All right. Uh, we've talked about the next one, the Hebrew Bible, Malachi is followed by the Psalms. This is a scene between the prophets, so on. Uh, so remember the Torah, we talked about that. Um, also connection between the righteous and wicked, we talked about that. Okay. Biblical and theological connections, give me one more minute and I will just stop. Um, so biblical theological connections. Malachi does not only connect to Psalms, but also offers direct connection to the ministry of John the Baptist. How does Mark use Malachi 3.1 uh, uh, to connect? And this would be a great place to stop. What is the first book of the New Testament? Matthew. Matthew. I just wanted to see and if you had that doubt. But what is the first book of the New Testament, of the Gospels, that was written chronologically? Mark. The last word of the Old Testament 
was, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What's the first words of Mark? Does anybody have that? Okay, go on. kingdom to the coming of the messenger and the messenger Jesus identified as yeah, his disciples ask him but who, who is he speaking of when he says Elijah he says it's John the Baptist he really understood that so we've arrived at that moment in time and um, I want to say something about that oh and so let me say one thing in conclusion, that when you read Mark 1, 2, and 3, you'll see that it says, as Isaiah said. So now wait a minute, we just read that in Malachi. Oops. Um, that's no oops. Because the second half says, is, is quoting Isaiah. And so he is taking two texts from the Old Testament, giving the credit the prophets and speaking of the major prophet of the three. And that often happens in the New Testament. Alright? So, I, I uh, what we need to have Levi come back and actually wrap this up the way it needs to be wrapped up. I have a whole page of stuff about wrapping this up. But, uh, well, yeah, there you go. There's, there's the last page. So, be sure you read all that. And uh, thank you for being here today. God bless you.